Welcome to Satsang. Good morning. Good morning. Could you please, could you please speak about overcoming suffering? Okay. Well, the Buddha stated that uh, life is dissatisfying in the first of the uh, Four Noble Truths. And it's absolutely true. Life is uh, dissatisfying. And the reason for that is very simple. We're constantly desiring things to be different than how they are. Now, a mild desire doesn't create suffering. But uh, a strong desire does because it's a form of resistance. And so we look at, well, uh, how can we have a life where we don't suffer? Well, simple, don't resist. But that's more difficult than meets the eye because we're programmed to resist. We're programmed to actually contract. We're programmed to, the, to actually suffer. The other thing that causes suffering is when we get attached to something uh, and then it gets threatened or we fear that it's going to be uh, in some way damaged or taken away. Uh, we then go into resistance again. So once again, resistance uh, causes suffering. And so the two things that the two major things that cause suffering are desires and attachments, uh, the, which is what the Buddha stated in the second uh, of the Four Noble Truths. And it's absolutely true. He, he got it right 2,500 years ago. This is what causes suffering. Most people don't really get it. They don't get that they are creating their own suffering by the resistance they're putting into what they want or what they're trying to protect. And so at some point in consciousness uh, rising, uh, you get to see, aha, if I don't resist, if I don't contract to life, I'm not going to suffer anywhere near as much as I have been. And that's absolutely true, profoundly correct. But it's difficult because we probably got that information later in life after the age of seven. And after the age of seven, we've all got default patterns of resistance and contraction. Um, probably based uh, around uh, belief systems that have expectations uh, on them. And when those expectations aren't met, there's contraction and resistance. And so in that way, we've been programmed to suffer. But as adults, we can change that. As adults, we can see it and stop resisting, stop uh, contracting to life. And so I teach uh, the way of the heart and the way of the heart for me is the practice of openness because when we're wide open, we feel love. And when we feel love, we want to take care of everything and everyone, which is very beautiful. It's a beautiful way to live. But in openness, there's no contraction. There's no resistance. And so there's no suffering. There may still be uh, pain, but pain is not suffering. Pain is pain. Suffering is when we resist pain. And so the less you can resist life, the less you suffer. And so I watch people get offended by things. And 
that's them deciding to suffer. Not consciously, but that's exactly what's happening. The moment we take offense, we go into resistance to what is, we suffer. And we suffer at our own hands. Though most people wouldn't like to take responsibility for that, they'd prefer to blame something else for that. That is immaturity. Blaming someone else or something else for how you feel, considering you're the one that makes you feel, is immature. And so in a lot of ways, it comes back to maturity levels. How willing are you to take responsibility for your life? How willing are you to take responsibility for your feelings? Because you make you feel. The world and other people cannot make you feel. Only you can do that. The world can do things you don't like. People can do things you don't like. But you're the one that makes you feel. And so you create the resistance or the non-resistance. In other words, you create your suffering. And this is how we create our reality, by the way we think about the world, through our reactions. So, <laughs> how to not suffer? Stop resisting life. Learn to be open. Learn to accept life. That doesn't make you ineffective. You can still change things from acceptance, from openness. It just means you don't suffer while you're doing it. Now, when we look at, um, at this from a perspective of intelligence, it is not smart to create suffering for yourself. See the point. Stop suffering. Stop resisting life. See the point. Whatever you practice, you're going to get good at. Stop resisting life. Start accepting it. And watch how the suffering disappears. It's going to be up to you because only you can do this. Nobody can do it for you. Are there any questions? Any statements? Or any challenges to this teaching here today? The first question. Willingness is required for higher consciousness. Is there anything we can do to train willingness in ourselves? Well, if you're not willing, you're not willing. <laughs> I had one teacher, his name was Tirtha. Uh, he used to say, well, you just haven't suffered enough yet. I don't know if that's true or not, but there is something in it. It's, it's like, if you're not willing, why aren't you willing? Only you can answer that question. Nobody can answer that question for you. If you're not willing, maybe it's because you have blinded yourself to what's going on. Maybe you're living in hope that things are going to get better or someone's going to wave a magic wand over you and it's all going to be okay. Take off your blinkers. Take off your rose-colored glasses and have a look. You create your reality. And if you're not willing to change it so you don't suffer, wow, you must be not seeing something. Is openness the only thing we are required to do to nullify resistance? You can't be in resistance and be open. 
It's that simple. And so openness is wonderful because you can practice it when nobody knows you're practicing it. People can be having an argument with you and you're practicing openness. In other words, you're practicing non-resistance and non-contraction. Nobody needs to know. And, you know, people talk about, oh, I haven't got time for a spiritual practice. How about practicing openness in the marketplace? You've got time for it. Nobody knows you're doing it. And it'll show you where all the obstacles inside of you are for your freedom. Because <laughs> in the practice of openness, you'll get to see what contracts you. You'll get to see what needs to be undone. You'll get to be see how you resist. You get to see the very things that stop you from perceiving your own heart. Openness is brilliant. It counts for everything. Do I have to suffer long enough before I can truly surrender? <laughs> you don't have to suffer at all. <laughs> but if you want to, well, you know, nobody's going to stop you. Do you have to suffer long enough? That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's up to you. You're going to create your reality. If you want to suffer, you just go ahead and suffer and see if it makes a difference. It doesn't change anything. You know, I watch these people go into protest against um, all sorts of different things. And they go in angry, you know, in resistance. And they create much suffering for themselves, which they, by the way, share with everybody they're with. And they think that somehow they're making a difference on the planet. What, they're bringing more darkness to the planet. You can go into a protest from openness and put your hand up and say, I don't like this. You can stand in front of a tree that's going to be cut down in a place of openness. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be in resistance. You don't have to be suffering yourself. But people don't understand that. It's like, gosh, you want more light on the planet. Find love. And love happens as a result of openness. Not as a result of contraction and resistance because you think someone's doing something wrong. Stop suffering. It doesn't, doesn't change a thing. I feel upset with my partner. It feels like a negative filter is over all aspects of my life. Yes. I didn't hear the last bit. Sorry. The question was, how can I I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you're breaking up. I didn't hear the last bit. How can I escape this? Okay, there's something wrong with your mic settings on your computer. You're cutting out. You've probably got a noise um, uh, suppressor. Okay, so you feel upset. When you feel upset with your partner, it feels like a negative filter is over all aspects of my life. How can I escape this? There's a wonderful old saying. This is from uh, a husband's perspective anyway. Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> we care about our, the people we love. We care about our partners. And when they're not happy, when we're not happy with them, uh, it affects everything. But we don't have to rely on them for our happiness. We can be happy independently of how they are feeling or how they are doing or what's happening inside of them. But that would mean that we'd have to be self-contained and self-loving. 
rather than reliant on an outside source for our happiness. And when we look at higher consciousness, in a lot of ways, it is about being self-contained, being self-loving, self-accepting, self-nurturing. And we're only talking from the perspective of the ego right now in the mind. But a mind that is self-nurturing can rest. A mind that is not self-nurturing is constantly looking for nurturing outside itself. So it's affected quite strongly by what happens outside itself. <laughs> and you say you're upset with your partner. Oh dear. <laughs> the world is never ever going to agree with everything we want. Being upset is a choice. You don't have to be upset. You can make it okay. You don't have to be in the relationship if you don't want to. You can uh, create communication if you want to change things. But being upset, is that some form of you trying to manipulate your environment? I don't know. Have a look for yourself. There's no point. You're just creating suffering. For what? What does that change? I don't see any point in suffering. I don't see any point in resisting life. There's just no need for it. You have to volunteer to do it. Life is the way it is. Things aren't going to go the way we want all the time. We don't have to suffer as a result of that. We can accept life as it is. But of course, that's up to us. It's much easier to do that if we are self-nurturing, if we have self-acceptance and self-love, because we're more self-contained. We're not reliant on trying to get love outside of ourselves or acceptance outside of ourselves. And so the foundation for higher consciousness is self-acceptance. And that's completely up to you because no one can help you with that but you. And so you're asking, how can you escape feelings? Stop creating them. You're responsible. It's nobody, it's nobody else. It's nobody else is doing anything to you. You're doing it to yourself. How can you escape? Stop it. <laughs> Accept things as they are. Use communication to make things work if you want to or leave if you want to. But there's no, there's no point suffering. Okay. Did you always choose to surrender in your romantic relationships? Did you sometimes decide it was better to give the relationship up? Romantic relationships. Wow, that's an interesting word. I don't think I'm a romantic type, actually. I'm too pragmatic. I don't mind buying flowers and uh, getting a beautiful card sometimes and maybe writing some poetry, but I've never seen myself as a romantic type. More pragmatic. If I love someone, I let them know. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. <laughs> Can you repeat the question for me? I got caught on the romantic bit. Did you always choose to surrender romantic relationships? Or did you sometimes decide it was better to keep the relationship up? Okay, your computer is really chopping everything out that you're saying. I'm having trouble understanding you. 
Um, can you ask the question again, please? Did you always choose to surrender in your romantic relationships? Or did you sometimes decide it was better to give the relationship up? I've never been one to give up relationships. Um, I've been more or less the guy that tries to make them work uh, rather than give them up. I had a couple of rules involved in um, personal relationships and those rules were uh, no abandonment, no threat of abandonment and no anger. And the reason that I had these rules was I could see clearly that I didn't want to manipulate and control someone through their wounding because most humans have abandonment wounding because I saw that as cruelty and I saw anger as a form of violence and I didn't want to be violent with my partner or anyone else for that matter. A lot of people don't see anger as violence, but I actually do. I see anger as violence. We're injecting someone with toxic energy when we're angry with them. And so there are the two rules that I had. And so this idea of surrendering, I'm more accepting than anything else. Everybody's different. Nobody's going to agree with everything you have to say, no matter who they are. Uh, people from the, home, the, the same family have differences, different understandings. And so I find that I found that acceptance is the key to making relationships work. You have to accept the other, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the other and keep communication open. That works. Relationships are difficult to navigate because you've got two people who want to control their environments together and they have different understandings of how to do that. And so it's always a little difficult and sometimes it's, uh, it's very, it's very difficult. And maybe you do need to leave the relationship because it's just too destructive. But I've never been one to leave relationship. I've been one to try to build bridges and make it work. I remember one of my teacher, Osho Rajneesh talked about relationships. He said, it doesn't matter what woman you get together with, learn to surrender learn to accept and then you can use the relationship for higher consciousness and i heard that i heard that clearly and so every relationship i've been in since the early 80s has been an opportunity to practice acceptance and surrender because it's the people who are close to us that can show us where we're still stuck inside ourselves where we haven't shown up with love where we're still in resistance So no abandoning. A viewer on Facebook has asked, I am really struggling being with people close to me when they are stoned or intoxicated. How do I manage this? Yeah, it is difficult because when people get stoned and intoxicated, they go into lower consciousness. They don't go into higher consciousness. And so it's difficult to be with them and communicate with them. And some of them may have bad habits in those spaces as well. I operate from a place of acceptance. So I accept people wherever they're at, 
but I don't live with people who get stoned or get intoxicated. Uh, it's not one of the things that I'm involved in. I'm involved in higher consciousness and I don't really get involved in lower consciousness at all. And once upon a time, a long time ago, yeah, that, that could have been me. And so there, but for the grace of God goes I. But I saw the light and I saw that that basically is just a form of escapism. Uh, people medicate themselves to make themselves feel better because life is hard. It's hard for every human being. And I've always seen that people who actually aren't into higher consciousness, if they're medicating themselves on legal, illegal drugs, alcohol is a drug as well. It's like, it's okay. It's okay that they do that. I don't have a problem with it. If they're into higher consciousness though, it's the wrong way. It just takes you back into lower consciousness. It uh, darkens you. It doesn't make you brighter. It doesn't give you more clarity. They say there's certain drugs that will give you insights like uh, ayahuasca. Insights are only invitations to do the work. They're not the answer. Other drugs can relax you. Um, fair enough. But if you're really into higher consciousness, you don't really want to get involved in mind altering substances. It's up to you. I'm not laying down any rules. Whatever people do is their business. But if you're into higher consciousness, you need clarity, not unconsciousness, not dream. Most drugs take you into dream and dream is lower consciousness. If uh, you're into higher consciousness, you need sanctuary. And it's difficult if you're with people who are doing a lot of alcohol or a lot of drugs. It may, be, may mean that you need to find somewhere else to live. I don't know your, your whole situation. But here's the thing about higher consciousness. It's always best to be with people going in the same direction, whatever that direction may be. If you want to get to the end, get to the goal. And so people who are into higher consciousness tend to hang out with people who are into higher consciousness. People who are into lower consciousness tend to hang out with people who are into lower consciousness. Birds of a feather flock together. I've left behind many groups in my life for different reasons. And some of those groups were involved in alcohol and drugs because I'd left that scene. I didn't want to know about it anymore. I didn't want to listen to someone talking to me a stoned place about rubbish. <laughs> it, maybe if I was stoned, it would sound interesting and, and reasonable. But when you're, when you're not stoned and when you have clarity, it just sounds like rubbish. And so it's difficult. It's going to be up to you. What are you going to do? There could be some hard choices here for you. If you're into higher consciousness, it's always best to hang out with people who enjoy higher consciousness. Always. Oh, and people who, who uh, do drugs, really and truly, are they into higher consciousness or are they just escaping something? Have a look. The next question is from Kalimba. Hi, Kalimba. Good morning, his friend. That question just triggered a memory in me there. <clears throat> I remember Osho being asked in discourse one time, um, Osho, can you tell us what do you think about drugs? Are they okay? 
And he said, this is an interesting question. If you are the master, then it is okay. If the drugs are the master, then it is definitely not okay. And that sort of resonated with me. <laughs> yeah, he's talking about addiction. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because I've, I've took, as probably all of us did, took recreational drugs in, a, in a, my time. Haven't for quite a long time, but I just, as I said, that just triggered a memory, so I thought I'd share it. Yeah, I, I, um, I heard what Osher had to say on drugs as well. And um, I, I had to have a really good look at myself at some point when I was using uh, marijuana. And I realized that really I was just trying to get away from something. I was just relaxing my mind because it had been basically disturbed by the day or whatever. So I was trying to take the edge off, uh, edge off that. But what I realized is it just lowers my consciousness levels. It didn't give me more clarity. It didn't raise my consciousness levels. It just took me down. And I was really into higher consciousness. I was a seeker. So I gave, I just had to give it all away. And what are you into? You know, basically it comes back to what are you into? Are you into escaping or are you into higher consciousness? Yeah, I totally agree. If you're into higher consciousness and you don't need that stuff and it's actually a stumbling block, as you said. Anyway, thanks for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. The next question. Sometimes I experience prolonged ongoing pain and it feels like suffering. How do I differentiate between the two? Or change my point of view about the pain and this question comes from a viewer okay so prolonged pain is chronic pain yeah see I have one answer and I don't have a second answer the answer is acceptance um, the pain doesn't go away because we accept but the suffering does the suffering that we have uh, is created by our resistance to pain. Pain is just pain. In acceptance, the pain doesn't go away, but the suffering does. And so it's up to you. It's hard for us to learn acceptance because it's not part of our programming, primal programming, but it is possible. And so for my life, I've accepted pain because I've been involved in basically a lot of sports that were painful. So I actually found ways to accept pain. And in learning to accept pain, the suffering left, but the pain sometimes didn't. So I only have one answer and that's acceptance. But also, you know, there, if you can find uh, medications that'll take the pain away, if it's physical pain, there's nothing wrong with that. That's up to you too. I teach acceptance because it is the answer to freedom. And there actually isn't another one.
Do you think that psychotherapy can help someone to suffer less? Heck yeah. Could also help someone to suffer more, <laughs> depending on uh, depending on what happens uh, inside the psychotherapy process. Uh, we get involved in psychotherapy, and so suddenly we become our own uh, psych psychotherapist. We become our own analysts, and people can think that somehow that uh, is going to help us spiritually grow. But the truth is now we have another program where we're problem solving inside our own mind and we're, we're caught in our own minds again, psycho, psychoanalyzing ourselves. And so this happens to a lot of seekers, actually. They get caught in uh, psychoanalyzing themselves and think that somehow they're raising their consciousness levels when the truth is they're dreaming. Because uh, if you're analyzing yourself, you're dreaming. And it becomes a pattern because we've all been programmed at school to seek problems and solve them. That's what we were taught at school. And so in psychoanalysis, we can actually put that programming into play, thinking that somehow we're doing ourselves an amazing amount of good when really we're just taking ourselves into another dream where we hurt ourselves. And so there's a danger in it. What's best is developing a silent witness that just watches the mind. And then we see it all. No need to analyze, no need to work it out, no need to rationalize. We just see it. And because it's seen, it can be stopped. Until we see what our mind's up to, there's nothing we can do about it. It just runs automatically and unconsciously. In witnessing the mind, we then get choices to continue what we're doing, which is probably reaction, or to respond. Witnessing the mind, developing a silent witness is probably the best thing a human being can do towards higher consciousness. If those that we love become destructive in their substance abuse, is it okay to completely remove them from our lives or is this unsupportive? <laughs> Depends what you mean by destructive. So it's a very hard question to answer because I don't know the circumstances. I don't know the situation. Okay. The next question. It's been shown that mindfulness training helps people Sorry, you just broke up completely. I didn't hear you. It's the last question on the screen. Yeah, there's something wrong with the microphone in your, mm -hmm. in your system. I can't understand what you're saying half the time. It, it has been shown that mindfulness training helps people manage physical pain too. What is your understanding of how this works? Well, wherever we put our awareness, uh, we live. It's very simple. If you put your awareness on pain, you live as pain. And so uh, we go through different um, processes during the day. If we're sad for some reason and we put our awareness on sadness, we live as sadness. If we're angry and we put our awareness on anger, we live as anger. If we have pain, we put our awareness there, we live as pain. Wherever we put our awareness, we live. 
And that's uh, it's the same for people who are awake. Awareness is on awareness, then a person basically lives as beingness. Well, that's a little bit hard to say. Awareness on awareness is just awake. Awareness on anything is where we live, though. And so if you put all your awareness on the pain, of course, you're going to be in pain. Someone's blaming the system. <laughs> My assistants are help, trying to help at the moment. They're um, playing with the, the technology. So if we put awareness on an ambient awareness, mindful of everything around us at once, then we're not focused on one thing. The pain will seem like it's less. We put all our awareness on the pain and it'll seem like it's more because it's our total focus. And so mindfulness training, being mindful of what is real, the pain is real, by the way, but other things are real as well. Uh, that your breath's real, what you see is real, what you hear is real, uh, what you're feeling uh, is real. And so if we have an ambient awareness or mindfulness of uh, other things besides the pain, it does lessen the experience of the pain because we have our awareness spread. But if we have our awareness just totally on the pain, then that's what we pick up, pain. It becomes our totality. So yes, mindfulness training definitely helps deal with pain. Is the ego addicted to suffering? I don't think you can say that the ego is addicted to suffering. I can say, you can say that people are unconscious uh, and they don't know what they're doing. Uh, if you're not aware of that you're creating the suffering by what you're doing, well, you're ignorant. And you actually haven't had a look. And so I don't think there's an addiction from the ego side to suffering. I think it's just ignorance that creates suffering in people. Because as your consciousness levels rise, you get to see that you create that suffering. So why would you want to do it? It's only out of ignorance that people suffer. If you watch the mind long enough, you'll see how it all works. You'll see how it creates whatever is going on, pretty much. But if you watch the mind long enough, you also get to see that you don't actually have to resist life. You don't have to create that suffering. That's up to you. I don't think the mind gets addicted to suffering. It gets addicted to things that take it away from suffering. Like... Um, different types of drugs, alcohol, food, um, television, gaming, gambling, whole pile of different things that gets addicted to that take it away from suffering, away from pain. I don't think uh, it gets addicted to suffering, no. If someone betrays me, I always feel I have to get revenge in some way. How can I let this pattern go as I see it just cause me suffering? Second question. Okay. 
If someone betrays me, yeah. Yeah, why would you want to do that? Human beings do betray. Uh, I, don't, I don't actually have a belief system that they shouldn't um, because um, it's human nature to betray. It, it's what is in the world, humans betray. So I don't have a belief system that they shouldn't. And as a result of uh, not having a belief system that they shouldn't betray me, I don't contract or go into resistance when they do, and they do. But I don't, I don't contract over it. I don't go into resistance. I don't think revengeful thoughts or get bitter or resentful. It's just what is. It's human nature. Uh, somehow when uh, people betray you, it, it touches you and uh, you feel pain. So you want to get people back for the pain. Well, that's pretty unconscious. Become more conscious and have a look. Have a look inside yourself. What's actually happening inside of you? Someone betrays you, something gets touched. It hurts, so you want to hurt someone back. Not very loving, not very caring, not very mature. How many people have you betrayed? As people say, well, I don't betray. Uh, well, have you, if you're in a relationship with someone and you've had a pornographic thought about someone else, that's betrayal. So when people tell me they haven't betrayed, it's like, really? <laughs> really? It's human nature to betray. <laughs> really? Sort of, uh, what is it? Uh, he who hath not sinned, let him or her cast the first stone, as Jesus said. Is even desire to be enlightened suffering? Heck yeah. Every, that desire creates a great deal of suffering, but it is the one and only desire that is worth having because the desire to be enlightened is the desire that will get you free. All other desires pretty much create suffering for you and don't present a great deal of result. But the desire for freedom, the desire for enlightenment, the thirst for truth is the only desire that should be totally 100% supported because that one can get you out of jail. That one can get you out of the matrix of your mind so you know yourself as truth. That desire is worth everything. That thirst is worth promoting. The next question is from Satya. Hi, Satya. Hello, Ishan. Ishan, my question is, is physical uh, illness the uh, effect on our consciousness? Can do. Depends what the physical illness is, how it affects the mind. Um, I... <laughs> I had uh, hepatitis uh, when I was about 33 or 34, I think, and it affected me a great deal because it made me very, very ill. And I had to stay in bed for six months and it affected my consciousness brilliantly because I just meditated for six months. 
so so yes it, it, physical illness can really affect your consciousness <laughs> and vision uh, due to physical illness people like suppose someone having a high blood pressure or diabetes or when they take uh, this kind of uh, medicines so is it also effect on uh, uh, like uh, body and uh, on a level of consciousness can do depending on what the drug is um great deal depends on how the drug that they're taking affects the mind but the mind can learn surrender and once it's learned surrender it's learned all it needs to learn for higher consciousness and for enlightenment okay thank you vistan okay thank you sachi A viewer has said, can you explain what betray means? Betray? Um, so you're in relationship with someone and uh, you have a deal whereby you guys don't sleep around, you just sleep with each other and your partner decides to go and sleep with someone else without telling you. And that would mean that you've been betrayed because the um deal you had with each other has been broken the commitment you had with each other to be just with each other has been broken there's been a betrayal why is having a pornographic thought Okay, you're breaking up completely. I didn't get any of that. It's the last question on your screen. Okay. Can't use whatever you're using to uh record. You can't do this again because I'm just not picking you up. So why is uh having a pornographic thought about someone other than our partner betrayal? Because it is. I consider myself reasonably happy. Do you think I'm fooling myself and don't even see my own suffering? Most people don't see their own suffering. I'm not I don't know what you're like. You may be a very happy person, but most people don't recognize that every desire they have is a form of suffering because it's resistance. Most people don't recognize that every time they get frightened of losing something, they're suffering. because it happens so much they don't realize that it's suffering uh, if you are in a desireless state you don't suffer and so you have a look and see have a look and see every thought you have that involves you wanting something to be different than how it is which is a form of resistance is a form of suffering even if it's mild Now if we addictively demand something we suffer incredibly if we go into massive resistance to anything we suffer incredibly but you've got to have a look you've got to get ruthlessly honest with yourself and see how is your mind working what is it actually doing a lot of people keep themselves away from the feelings inside of themselves that are unpleasant through hope the hope that somehow things are going to be better later now that's just a dream it's kind of like a drug that people take 
to keep them away from reality, the reality of what's here now. So if we take away all our future projections and just live in the now, what's actually here? What's our mind doing? What's it been programmed to do? And I got to tell you, none of us were programmed to be happy at school. We were programmed to be efficient little machines solving problems. And that worked very well for us at school because we got to pass exams and get certificates and whatever we needed to go on. But unfortunately, that usually continues until we die. And every time we go into resistance to anything, it is a form of suffering. It is a form of dissatisfaction. But because we've become so used to it, we don't notice it until the mind stops and then you see it. And so meditation facilitates the stopping of the mind, the quietening of the mind, and then you see it. So there is no way to be without suffering, without an equanimous mind. You want to stop suffering, wake up. Stop resisting life. That'll do. It's up to you. You're creating it. You're creating the suffering. You can stop it. Stop resisting life. Be free. Accept life as it is. Stop taking offense. Stop being a victim. You, these are all things you create. And they're all things that are within your control. You create your reality by the way you think. So if you're creating suffering through resistance, Stop it. The next question. How can I drown out my negative thinking? The first question on the list. Yeah, I can see it. Okay, so yeah, if you're, if you're a negative thinker, you've been programmed to be a negative thinker. Uh, when I first got into personal growth, it was like, uh, it was all about being a positive thinker and developing positive thinking patterns. It didn't take me long to realize that that's actually not a requirement because people, human beings are naturally buoyant. We're born naturally buoyant. The only thing that sinks us is negative thinking. Uh, we don't need positive thinking, but negative thinking definitely sinks us. And so... I first started changing uh, negative patterns in my life when I was 19. Uh, one of them was victim oriented thinking, which is negative thinking, being a victim of this, being a victim of that, being a victim of myself, being a victim of someone else, being a victim of a situation that's negative thinking. And so I stopped that It took years because I, I was a great victim, but I just refused to be a victim. And so I stopped it. Any time a victim oriented thought would arise in my mind, I'd just stop it. The other thing that I, a negative program or uh, that I saw that was hurting me uh, was worry. Worry is negative programming as well because it just hurts you. It doesn't do any, does not change a thing. As St. Francis of Assisi stated, it does not make you an inch taller. No amount of worry can. And so that was the second thing that I stopped. Anytime worry uh, arose in my mind, I just stopped it. But it's up to you. You're asking to drown out uh, negative thinking. That sounds negative in itself. Just stop it. You find yourself being negative, stop it. 
Every time it arises, stop it until it doesn't come anymore. Whatever we feed in our mind grows. If you feed the negative thinking, it grows. Stop it. Atrophy it. Up to you. And it's not going to be easy. If you're a negative thinker, it's going to be difficult to change those default patterns. But what else you got to do? It's the best thing you can do. Raise your consciousness levels. Stop thinking negatively. Because negative thinking does not raise consciousness levels. It keeps you locked in lower consciousness and suffering. You're in control of your mind. Nobody else. It's up to you. Can positive thinking help us with openness whilst we are learning openness? I don't promote positive thinking. I don't promote any form of thinking, really. Um, positive thinking, nah. Just don't negative think. Human beings are naturally buoyant. Just don't negative think. Any negative thoughts arise, discount them. And you'll find that you'll be buoyant. You don't need positive thinking. Just don't in, get involved with negative thinking. What do you mean when you say human beings are naturally buoyant? Well, I don't know if you've ever been involved with small children, having your own or being involved with maybe someone else's, but they're naturally buoyant. All, we're born buoyant. We're born bouncy. We're born up. We're not born down. Um, we've, we're resilient. I think it's part of the survival mechanism of being a human being. It's not until we develop uh, negative ways of thinking that we, be, we sink ourselves. Have a look for yourself. Find, find a relative or someone who's got a little kid. See how buoyant they are. And you would have been like that when you were little as well. So what happened? The next question is from a viewer. Do you believe that human beings should only be attracted and attached to one person and that any other? You broke up completely then, but I'll read the last part of it and that any other energy is betrayal. Uh, somewhere you're thinking that I think betrayal is bad. I just think it's what human beings do. I don't categorize it as good or bad. It's just what human beings do. They do betray. It's human nature to betray. If you have a look at your own mind, you'll see that it betrays. If you're not honest with yourself, you won't see it, but it betrays. Uh, to actually think that other human beings shouldn't betray you is actually out of touch with reality. It's delusional. Um, as far as being attracted to one person, of course, you can be attracted to as many people as you like. I was just suggesting that we all betrayal. And I was using uh, an example that uh, if we are in a relationship where we are committed and we actually have pornographic thoughts about someone else, that's a form of betrayal. It was just an indicator that showed that we, we do betray. It's, it's human nature to betray. I'm not making a statement that we shouldn't be attracted or we're not attracted to more than one person because that would be also out of touch with nature because we probably are. I'm just stating that human beings betray. It's part of their nature. 
When we are perceiving love more of the time, is that an indicator we are resisting life less? Yes. <laughs> How do I stop the habitual pattern of seeing myself as a victim of circumstances? How the world has wronged me. Yeah, that's, that's victim orientated thinking. That's one of the first things when I was 19, I got, I, I decided to change because uh, quite often people who are victim orientated are angry people because they, they take offense and they blame and they get angry. And I was an angry young man and I could see how destructive that was. And I could see clearly that it was created by my victim orientated thinking. Um, and it's easy to see people as, as wronging you because we, <laughs> we can get very critical. But any time we take offence, we're creating suffering for ourselves. I just really saw the point that to be a victim of anything is a voluntary act. Bad things ha may happen, but you have to put your hand up to be a victim of them. It's a choice. People think it's not a choice. Yes, it is a choice. We create ourselves as victims or we create ourselves as not. I just see life as it is. Not good, not bad, just as it is. You want to see yourself as a victim? Well, you'll suffer until you die. Because there's always going to be things to blame for how you feel. You're the one doing it to you, though. Nobody else is doing it to you. You're responsible for your feelings. 100% responsible. Is being a victim based on our belief systems or it's just programming? Yeah, it's based on your belief systems. I'll give you, look, I'll give you an example of that. Look, I remember when I was uh, quite young, I was mugged in Perth City. Uh, by a couple of bikies. And uh, at that time I was quite young. I think I was 18 or something, maybe even 17, I don't know, but I was pretty young. And these bikies, they, 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 they beat me up and they, they, they mugged me, they stole my money. And I got to have a really good look at that. You know, it's like, now these guys have beaten me up and they've stolen my money and I'm sore. Now I can be a victim of that and hurt myself with those thoughts, or I can see this is just what is. And I saw the choice. I saw a choice there. Now, if I become a victim of it, I'm going to hurt myself more and more and more because I'm likely to run that story of being beaten up and robbed over and over again. And every time I do, I'm going to stab myself or I can not be a victim of it choice and see it just as what is not ro rotate the story over and over again and hurt myself over and over again because they did what they did once. Now I'm not, now I can do it to myself over and over again by being a victim, by thinking I'm a victim. And I just chose not to, I just chose not to be a victim because I, I could see the point I'd already been robbed. I'd already been beaten up. Why did I have to do it to myself over and over and over again 
I running victim orientated thoughts about it. I didn't, it was a choice. So I chose not to be a victim. Did your mind still bring the stories up and then you just dismissed them? No, because I had chosen uh, not to be a victim, I moved to acceptance of what had occurred and the stories disappeared. If we, if we are holding someone in contempt for what they've done, in other words, being a victim of them, we're likely to run the story over and over again. But if we move to acceptance of the situation, it's pretty much over. Acceptance destroys story. As long as we remain a victim, though, there's a story. When life, it's just what is, the story's over. Have a look. It's up to you. I'm not talking about what's fair and what's not fair here. I'm just talking about you not creating suffering for you. That's all I'm talking about. Because when we turn ourselves into a victim, we're the ones hurting ourselves. What's happened has already happened. But now we're hurting ourselves because of the way we think about it. Have a look. When that happened, had you been practicing acceptance for some time? Not necessarily acceptance, but I'd been, I had, had spent a lot of time alone uh, as a teenager uh, and a lot of time in contemplation. I used to walk at night time. I used to walk for hours at night time, just looking at life, wondering about this and wondering about that. And I got to walk with, with violence. I got to walk with trying to understand violence against me. And um, I just got to see clearly there was a, a, a correlation between me actually being physically hurt and me creating my own suffering. And then I got this book called The Handbook for for higher consciousness by Ken Keyes. And he talked about this victim orientation and how it works in the mind. And it just all clicked through. It's like, yeah, we create our own reality by the way we think. Bad things can happen to us. We can be a victim of those bad things or not our choice. If we choose to be a victim of those things that have happened to us, we will hurt ourselves over and over and over again. The person that did it to us or whatever, they're not doing it anymore. We're doing it to us now. We're doing it to ourselves. And I just saw it and I chose not to do it. I chose not to hurt myself by being a victim. It is time. Ah, it is time. Thank you for Satsang. Good to see you brave hearts here today.